This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and this is Backstage Pass, a special episode where we chat to one of our Patreon supporters about their their path through metal, their life in metal, and an album that is special to them. And today's guest is Ramon Esquivel. Say hello, Ramon. Howdy, fellas. Doing Good morning. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very early morning as we record this uh, <laughs> for you in, in Los Angeles, isn't it? So, uh, yes, thank you for getting up early for us. So, first of all, Ramon, tell us a bit about yourself and how and when you got into metal. Yeah, uh, so I'm actually in Oakland, but um, yeah, oh, definitely on the, my apologies, on the West sorry. Coast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. Um, so, yeah, I actually play drums myself um, and... Uh, I am not a necessarily like a metalhead. Uh, I do listen to like a little bit of everything. Uh, and I think, um, my journey like through metal is kind of going through like a pop punk phase when I was like just learning drums, um, uh, just before like middle school not what I've kind of realized was not a Metallica phase, but an and justice for all phase. Uh, <laughs> That's a good phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a weird phase uh, for a drummer. <laughs> That's right, true. Yes. Yeah. That actually, that's a great point. <laughs> would only be and weirder then, if you were a bass player. Oh man. Well, I mean, you know, I love the, um, what's the, uh, the remixed version with like, like super heavy bass. Is it like Injustice for YouTube. Jason or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, I can I can get behind that now, you know, much much more than the original mix. But um, yeah, and then kind of like getting into uh, Avenged Sevenfold, uh, System of a Down, um, and and then just kind of like in trying to keep my musical tastes like varied and kind of be open to all sorts of inspiration from, from all genres. Um, this podcast has been a great tool to kind of, you know, keep my ears and mind open to, to what else is going on. Well, that's great to know. So, I mean, why did you, what, what's brought you to the drums? Uh, I think it was a couple different things. Um, my mom was getting remarried and my two uh, stepbrothers um, played drums. My uh, aunts on my dad's side were taking me to drum corps shows um, to see the Santa Clara Vanguard. And so um, that was like a, I don't know, just going to like one of those shows was just like a huge moment where I kind of get to... Um, I don't just like blow my face off if you've ever like been to one of those kind of like a, it, it's a it's a step above like marching band but the drums are like a huge part of that um and then uh after kind of growing out of uh my like christian rock phase and getting into you know like green day blink 182 um yeah, I just kind of like jumped in and, and wanted to start playing. And so I started taking lessons and um, after a couple months, you know, like got my own drum set and then 
made the beginning band in middle school and then said, oh, okay, I, I don't need private lessons anymore. I'm just going to, you know, play here. And of course, with a brand new drum set sitting at home, like I'm sure my parents were worried a little bit, but what, uh, what I would do is, you know, kind of after getting home from school, I just, you know, sit down at the drums with my CD player, you know, uh, and just play clumsily <laughs> at the time, you know, <laughs> just to start with, just clumsily play along with uh, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, fantastic. So, so I have so- t- I have two follow up questions, if I may. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, number one, let's talk about the Christian rock phase. So, are we talking like Striper? No, um, we're talking about uh, MXPX, Five Iron Frenzy, uh, Pillar is probably the hardest. Okay. That uh, they've kind of gotten behind, um, and then others like um, uh, DC Talk, uh, the Newsboys. <laughs> I'm sure, like only a handful of people are, are like nodding, like, "Oh yeah, okay." I, I yeah. have never heard of any of these bands. <laughs> so I imagine, I imagine, yeah. Was there a POD phase in there somewhere? Um. No, they were never that. I was never a, a huge POD fan. Okay, so that's my first follow up question. Like question. Yeah. My second follow up question, because you mentioned Avenged Sevenfold, and I have never been like a huge. I've never been like a huge follower of them. But what do you think of the album "Hail to the King"? I think waking the fallen was my intro album and i went mm-hmm. back to like sounding the seventh trumpet um hail to the king it, it never quite hit hit the same i mean you know i think the huge part um and i haven't given uh like their their newer drummer um much attention but the rev is just you know was one of the greatest yeah, uh, and so it's, you know, it's big shoes to fill, and, and I don't know that uh, anyone could ever, you know, replace him. And, and the reason that I asked that for anybody that doesn't listen to Avenged Sevenfold, or uh, I remember when the Hail to the King album came out, and I loved it because it's it's very much like a love letter to a lot of the bands that I grew up listening to. I mean, there's songs in there that are super influenced by everyone from Megadeth to Guns N' Roses, and but and uh, clearly Metallica, a lot of uh, sort of Metallica influences on that album. But they caught a lot of flack for that, almost to the point where people were accusing them of kind of ripping off either riffs or um, being so close to certain riffs from from certain other bands. Whereas I felt like it was really a nod to all of their influences there. So I I was just wondering, like, uh, for an Avenged Sevenfold fan, like, where that fell for you? Because as someone who wasn't huge into them, like, that's probably the album I would go to from them. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's such a fine line. And I think artists nowadays, you know, if you, right, you're either taking, you know, too much from the artist that inspired you, um, or... I don't know, like what, like you're, you're doing it in a way that is, yeah, it honors those, those musicians less and I don't know, resonates with people, can resonate uh, less effectively. Yeah. It's definitely a fine line to walk, isn't it? So um, 
Do you... Because uh, I don't know Avengers Sevenfold that well, but I seem to recall them being quite technical. So do you, as a drummer, is that something, do you, you know, sort of gravitate towards... Because System of a Down as well, some really fucking weird rhythms and shit in there, you know. And also a band that loads of non-metal heads in California really like for some reason. Go mm-hmm. figure. Um, so do you, <laughs> do you sort of gravitate towards the technical bands that have, you know, these kind of real well virtuoso drummers for want of a better description no i'm i'm definitely yeah or or like a drummer's drummer you could yeah you kind of yeah say too yeah no i i'm definitely more i play more feel and groove based um and you know i totally respect and am awed by you know um danny carey and uh, she like so many other of those like drummers that are on an entire different level than you know your typical guy at the back of the stage, right? Guy or girl, guy or woman. Um, and I think the thing is, um, the band has to serve that drummer just like the drummer is serving the music, right? If it's if it's something where I can't think of like a good example, but where like the the drummer's basically just overplaying and Rush. the the music <laughs> oh, Ooh, oh I did man. not say that. I, I will say that. that. That's an opera I, I will take that flack. <laughs> um but yeah, you you get it, right? The the palette, the 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 canvas has to be there for the drummer to step in and appropriately um play out, right? Play play all those notes um, along with the band. Um, so yeah, there's there's a time and a place, and and I feel like there's a time and a place in the band, right? Different bands can can support you know those more uh, complex and um, the athleticism, right, of having to having to play that hard, that fast, or you know then just the the polyrhythms and yeah. Yeah. So that actually makes me think, uh, where do we put Dave Lombardo in that discussion of the, his Slayer era stuff? Overplaying? What do you think, Anthony, in terms of... I, I, no, I don't, I don't think so, no, because okay. I, I, I agree with Ramon. It's, you've got you've to serve the band and the song. And if you are, you know, Lombardo's drumming absolutely fitted with Slayer at that time you know and and the music was designed to have that kind of frenetic drumming behind it so sure i mean you could argue that compared to other metal drummers at the time he was overplaying but you could say that about the whole of slayer really for sure <laughs> but and uh, and i wholeheartedly agree with you by the way and i think if you listen to his work with suicidal tendencies now it's it's a real testament to his ability to adapt to the style of the band because it's very like people who go to his suicidal tendency stuff expecting to hear the type of drumming that they heard from him and Slayer, I think would be disappointed. But he fits what suicidal tendencies needs perfectly. Mm. Yeah, I think so. That's um, so. Uh, this I. So you say you're not a metalhead, but you you know you enjoy listening to some metal albums and stuff. Fair enough, nothing wrong with that, you know. But the, now I'm intrigued. Like, how did you find 
the podcast and like what was it that made you think oh yeah i'll start i'll start listening to this um just from listening to all the great shows of course <laughs> and um you know the, i think there's like a, a a handful of really close-knit pod uh cast communities and um the incomparable relay fm kind of connection there um you know it it brought the podcast on my radar and um i've been you know hooked since i don't know pretty early i can, i don't think i can say episode one but um yeah it's it's been something where it's nice to right have some sort of direction and it's not a weekly podcast because I think that would be just more metal than I could. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not like, um, not m more metal than I can handle, but I, I, I want to listen to all sorts of other things. So, yeah. um, it would be, it would be a bigger time commitment. Right. And so focusing on a particular album, um, and getting to learn more about it and like the history and um, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. So do you, I mean, you, you may not recall precisely, but do you think that maybe you heard me mention this show on one of the incomparable episodes, maybe one of the album uh, draft episodes or something then? Um, or through Twitter somehow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Someone, someone just mentioning like, um, Hey, there's this, there's this new, you know, yeah. Heavy metal podcast. And I jumped on. Excellent. <laughs> it's always fascinating, right? Because it, like, I feel like I, I never even think anybody listens to us. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> sure. when we record, like I, you know, Anthony and I record on a roughly monthly schedule and it's just the two of us getting together and talking about, uh, talking about the music with ourselves, but also that very close knit Facebook group. And that's kind of what I always think when I think of like the community of listeners, I, that's what pops into my head is this like, Oh, this close knit group on Facebook that are the totality of the people who actually <laughs> listen to this podcast. And so it's always fascinating to hear like how people come across the show. Yeah, for sure. There, there are at least dozens of us. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's what I think in my head. So that that actually fits pretty well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, normally you would assume most podcasters assume that somewhere between five to ten percent of their listeners actually do like support the show monetarily. Uh, so you know, sort of by the number of patrons you have, or the number of members you might have if you run a membership program, that sort of thing. Uh, you'd normally assume that that's five to ten percent of your listenership. I think we have a much higher rate. I mean, maybe not. I might be completely wrong, but I suspect that our rate is higher, and we do have you know less total listeners than maybe some other music shows or whatever. But I suspect that more of our listeners, as a percentage, are patrons like yourself and i think that's just down to the metal community because there is yep. this it is such a we're all in this together supportive community. yeah 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 totally yeah. definitely which yeah, is absolutely obviously one of the things that we all love about it yeah definitely um and 
that yeah that not just paying but then also being engaged yeah like mainly on the facebook group which i don't have facebook but you know it's it's so great to see that uh in here that there's so much discussion going on in between the shows yeah there really is yeah yeah and you know as we've said many many times it's all just so good-natured you know it never devolves into flame wars and uh attacks and what have you it's all just it's you know there's good-natured ribbon (laughs) goes on about people's taste in music for sure yeah but that's just friends but good-natured i think is the is the um you know, it's the key there. And you're right. I mean, I'm continually impressed. And when anyone ever talks to me about the show or whatever, I, that's one of the first things I talk about. It's just like this amazing group of people who just, they just want to chill and talk about music and introduce new bands to people. And like, that's every single week, there is at least one or two conversations about here's, has anybody heard of this band? You guys should check this kind of thing out. Or there's a news story that everybody sort of jumps in and, and kind of offers, you know, feedback on and stuff like that. And it's, it's always 99.9% of the time. It's just a great conversation. And so, yeah, it's uh, but I'm glad to hear that even as someone who doesn't have Facebook, that you enjoy actually hearing about some of those discussions that are happening on the Facebook page. Cause I always think about that too, right? Like what, is that something that people care about hearing about? And it's also a good reminder that we have uh, the Patreon group, obviously, and that's a place where we can all, uh, engage around a post about an episode and stuff like that too. So for people that don't have Facebook, if you if you want to jump on and you're part of the the Patreon group, then you can certainly jump in there as well and have those types of discussions. And I think that it happens there too, but just to a lesser degree. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But for anyone else listening, get on board. Let's go. <laughs> so before I move on to the next question, I just want to mention that uh, when you uh, earlier mentioned going to uh, a drum corps show. That, uh, and this is just the cult- a cultural difference thing. It took me a minute to figure out what you meant. Uh, <laughs> because that's not a thing. Oh, sure. The drum corps is not a thing over here. And for a mi- because this is a metal show, for a minute I was thinking, drum corps, is that some subgenre? Dude. That, that I awesome. haven't. I could just picture you picturing like <laughs> these strobe lights in, and there's a guy in the middle of the stage that's just like, you know, a very, a, a very sort of industrial. Imagine uh, a band that's just 10 drummers on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go to that. <laughs> Someone is going to post in the Facebook group or the Patreon page now and be like, yes, drum corps is actually a genre, and here's like 10 bands that are drum corps that pioneers. you should listen to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, Roman, what's your favorite album that we've covered on the show so far? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, of course, I'm forgetting which Slayer album, but I think Slayer is is like the one that I finally like got into when when you covered it. Um, I think it was South of Heaven, right? It was South of Heaven, yeah, 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 yeah. nice. Um, I, it, there's just you know, there's nothing like Slayer, and I think um, it wasn't for like a distaste of hearing them before, but. You know, again, it was just kind of like spending time with the music and and listening to it and just, you know, yeah, having my face melted. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yep, Slayer will do that. All right, so uh, let's move on then to the album that you came on the show to talk about. So tell us what it is and why it is important to you. My pick is Rage Against the Machines, 
The Battle of Los Angeles, their third release uh, in 1999. And um, I felt like it was timely, um, not only because, as, as, as you guys said, that there was a discussion on the Facebook group about um, if they are considered metal, but then also um, Tom Morello's, kind of wh- wherever that was, Instagram or just on social media, having fans realize somehow after <laughs> yes, somehow years so of good. missing their political stance and and what they what they were representing and and um somehow missing that and then all of a sudden being like wait a minute they're they're not they're not uh i don't they, know fascist. they don't support our president <laughs> or something yeah 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 so um I thought that that was pretty funny, given that, um, although I, I can't understand people missing the message, because I, I'll, I'll admit, I am not, when I'm listening to music, I'm generally not that focused on the lyrics, um, but I can't think of a good equivalency of listening to Rage Against the Machine and not understanding what they're about. Right. So it, to me, it would be equivalent to like public enemy, right? Where you just be like, Oh, I don't get it. Right. <laughs> I, I never realized. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, it is wild. And I know exactly the posts that you're talking about. And, and it, the amazing thing is like, it's been multiple posts where he's been responding to people of like, what, what did you think we were, what did you think we were singing about back then? Um, that my favorite that wasn't from morello but i can't remember who it was from was somebody responding to one of those tweets saying what machine did you think they were raging against man the dishwasher yes yes exactly yeah come on yeah so when did you oh go on oh yeah you know this wasn't the first time that you know they've had a kind of like a uh fans or listeners right like kind of like waking up to what they they were about um and it won't be the last but it um, does seem to be kind of on mass at the moment though doesn't it yeah it's i just read an article that talked about how their streams were up 62 percent since the protests have began um which is not surprising at all and uh but yeah they definitely are having a huge resurgence right now and um I don't know how old you are, Ramon, but when the when their first album came out was in was in my freshman year in college, and and for me at that point in time that actually like motivated me to become more politically active at the time. And and we have like a public interest research group uh, in the U.S. and there's chapters for every state. And I like for a short time was the the president of my uh, Massachusetts like perg in in there but man i remember when that first album dropped it was like everyone at my entire school was listening to it that's how that's how like different it was when it dropped at the time yeah it was 93 right when when their self-titled came out yeah i thought it was oh maybe it was 92 so maybe it was my sophomore year yeah uh no november 3rd 1992 oh okay Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was freshman yeah. year. So I I had just started, uh, you know, I'd been at school a couple months at that point, and I remember having the CD, and I just remember like on any given day you could walk around and hear that blaring out of somebody's dorm room, and uh, it was huge. 
Yeah. Um, and, we, and we'll get into it, but like, the, yeah, it's the music and the lyrics and, and their, um, what they're all about is, uh, it's timeless, right? Unfortunately. Um, yeah, yes. if only it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> it's super that's, depressing, that's actually like, but yes. Yeah, that's one of the comments that I saw on YouTube um, for the Sleep Now in the Fire music video was just like, the good thing about this song is that it has aged well. The bad thing about this song is that it has aged well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So true. So when did you first get into Rage? Um, was it with that first album? No. Um, I think it must have been... Yeah, I, I think probably the first time I heard... Um, Rage was on the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 um, oh, soundtrack, cool. and that nice. was Gorilla Radio, right on this on this record, um, and and then yeah, kind of like uh, so our our local kind of like uh, well, it's, it's called Live or Alt One Hundred Five now, but it was Live One Hundred Five back in the day, um, and yeah. Um, Gorilla Radio and then Renegades of Funk, sadly, from from their like covers album was um, the one that was like in heavy rotation, pretty much. But um, I think, yeah, once I kind of like started listening to to secular music, <laughs> um, that Rage was just something so unique, right? That that sound and that energy. Um, yeah. Their uniqueness is absolutely a thing. I'm not, I've never been a huge Rage fan. I like them. Yeah, fine. You know, nothing against them, but I've never been a massive listener, as it were. So actually, the last few weeks listening to Battle of Los Angeles, because we knew we were going to talk about it today, is probably the most I've ever listened to Rage in my life in a concentrated period. And it's kind of remarkable how. Nothing else sounds like them. And they've been around now a long time. And yet there is, I cannot think of a single band that actually has their sound. And it's not just Morello's weird guitar stuff and what Mm -hmm. have you. There's just something about the way they wrote songs and the way they play their instruments that nobody else sounds like that. It's to the point where the Audio Slave album like, you know, the, the deal with Chris Cornell is mm-hmm. like, even if you didn't know who that was, you'd go, oh, that's the, that's the guys from Rage, isn't it? You know, because it just sounds like them, but with a different singer and nobody else does. It's really strange. But yeah. the interesting thing about that too, is like, it's so, there's such a rawness to this band that when I listen to Audio Slave, it's like not raw enough. You know, like it's it's too it's too polished compared to what rage is. And same thing with Prophets of Rage, like just not it just doesn't get there for me. You know what I mean? Whereas like this sort of the energy of this band is that to me is the true uniqueness of that. There is there's such a punk element to this band that is just like so powerful. And um yeah, for yeah, I agree with you. Like no one else captures that for me. Yeah, artists artists have that problem in general, right? Like not being able to um, 
can like grasp or like can maintain that initial special something in their later albums, right? Um, and with Rage, right, they've kind of, you know, been going back and forth on if they're working on new music um, for so long. And I think that has to be a priority for them in making sure that it doesn't sound like some, you know, multi-million dollar studio affair yep. where, where they're, you know, it's, a, it's the same people, but that, that soul and that heart is, isn't captured by the microphones. Right. Um, they were supposed to headline Coachella this year, weren't they? Before it got canceled. I thought that was a big deal. Like they were coming back to headline yeah. at Coachella this year. And I, this, I feel like that would have really sped along any sort of like new music disc, like it, cause that would have been huge, obviously. Um, so here's a, here's a, before I get onto another question I've got, actually, um, here's a, a funny thing that I just, a little piece of trivia. The first Rage Against the Machine album is, well, I say is, it was for a long time. I don't know if it still is, but for a long time, it was a real, like you said, uh, Ramon, earlier about you know, certain drummers being a drummer's drummer. The first mm. Rage album was like an engineer's, sat, you know, production. Um, like it was... Like held, a studio reference, yeah. Yeah, it was held up as literally, yeah, as a, as a studio reference of like, this is the album you play to check that your monitor setup is good because it's so well produced. The engineering, the sound quality of it is so amazing. Every instrument is recorded so perfectly and reproduced so perfectly. The yeah, it was kind of held up as a gold standard of sonic quality, which is kind of amazing given that, yeah, I mean, it's not a low budget album. They were already signed to a major label when they recorded it, but still a band's first album to be held up in that way is kind of amazing. Well, and to be able to capture that energy, you know, and have it, it and have it be so well produced, I think is True. a testament yeah. to that, you know? Yeah. On par with, uh, with Steely Dan and now Daft Punk, right? Uh, their random access memories is kind of like the new studio studio reference. So it's so funny to think of something like Rage Against the Machine as being like, play this to to test your sound equipment. <laughs> I didn't know that about random access memories. That's interesting. But it is. I mean, you're absolutely right. That is a beautifully produced album. Um, so I can totally understand it. So I mean, talking about that energy, this is the question I wanted to get to was, it's really interesting to me that this is the album that you say means more to you than the first album and is that just because this was the first one you listened to, or do you, or do you actually just prefer it to the first? It was it was a really tough call, and I think um, when we were emailing back and forth, you know, I kind of like gave myself like a little bit of time to kind of like make my roster and make a decision. And uh, as soon as I kind of like came across like Rage Against the Machine, I I kind of like knew that it was probably going to be one of one of their albums. Um, and of course, nothing tops killing in the name. Um, but I do think that as, as an entire album, the battle of Los Angeles is tighter and stronger. Um, and the, not just like the sequencing and the songwriting, but then, um, 
just having yeah there's also just the thing of just like this is the last album that they made so far of their original music right and so i think that's that's pretty special i uh, dude i agree with you 100 percent. i wholeheartedly agree with everything that you just said i think it is a, the most consistent of their albums top to bottom and that's really where i think their other stuff suffered for me because like anthony said like i I, I love Rage Against the Machine, but I wasn't like they. It's not like they were outside of that. Real, really, the first record was the one that was in constant rotation for me, and then I felt like Evil Empire was pretty inconsistent, and that's kind of when I sort of fell off of them. And this record, I didn't give as much time to when it came out as uh, as I should have, because as it turns out, <laughs> like I, it's probably my favorite Rage record just in terms of the consistency of it and how it's. It's really good top to bottom. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that consistency is important when you're picking a whole album because you're right, you know, nothing's going to be things like Killing in the Name and Bullet in the Head. That's from the first album as well, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you can't beat those just because A, they are good. I mean, they are genuinely great songs, but also the impact that they had. It's like, you know, like Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. You can't top that not just because of the song, but because it had such an enormous cultural impact that in people's minds, it is associated, it has so many other associations besides the music that you can't, you can't replicate it. You can never top it. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's kind of, in some ways, that's a bit of an albatross around some bands' careers because surely, you know, the, the guys in Rage, they're not, they're smart cookies. You know, these are, these are intelligent men. And Morello in particular clearly is a man who thinks a lot about, you know, his career and artistry and the life of a musician and all that sort of thing. He's got to know that no matter how good a song he writes, nothing again will ever top Killing in the Name. Um, and that's, that's got to be a weird feeling for an artist, mm. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, right, the the blessing and the curse of having a hit, right, of a, a, a giant success like like that, um, and yeah, you know that's that's part of the challenge, right? Of just like whatever kind of success you've had, um, getting back and kind of like going back to work and trying to trying to do it again, you know, in art or otherwise. But um, it has been nice that you know that hasn't kind of stop them from doing their their side projects and and everything else like what what um how much of their other works have you guys listened to um as far as like the the, the members from rage i'm not familiar really with any of it which actually i probably should be because i really like public enemy so i probably should yeah. listen to profits of rage but i just never have and it's good dude it's just not like for, and this is just my personal opinion it just doesn't um reach the heights of either public enemy or rage against the machine. So the promise of that, that team up for me is just not fulfilled. Now that doesn't mean it couldn't be, you know, at, at any point, but, uh, it just didn't there that, that when you say those two bands, you know, together in my mind, like the, what I am expecting to hear is, is not what just, you get. <laughs> yeah, it's just right. which yeah. is it's an yeah. impossible thing short. to live up to, right? You know, it's an impossible right. thing to live up to to go back to what you guys were both saying. Like yeah. it's just how could it be? 
how could it reach yeah. the heights of some of public enemy's greatest stuff? How could it reach the heights of some of rage's greatest stuff? But it just, yeah, it just didn't get there for me. And I, I definitely listened to a good amount of audio slave in the day too. And I would say, um, I really like audio slave as its own thing mm-hmm. and not comparing it at all to sort of rage against the machine. Like I, I definitely, I think that was a great, um, more so than like, uh, is it temple of the dog that was the Pearl jam and sound garden? Yeah. Um, yeah. that, that really, other than like, um, you know, the one song that was a hit off of that album, that, that one never really clicked for me. Whereas the audio slave stuff definitely did. And, and as did profits of rage, but I, they have to be thought of separately. Um, for me, because none of that stuff to me is as good as Rage. Actually, I, I kind of lied in the, the that first Audio Slave album. I do actually really like, and I have listened to a lot. Um, even though, I mean, you're right, Ramon, that it is much slicker than you know, and you can tell the budget that's gone into it, uh, and it doesn't have the kind of rawness of the early Rage albums. But I do think, as just an album of great songs that it's pretty fucking killer uh, unfortunately that was a band that had really diminishing returns like you know everything other than that first album pretty dire um but don't they have i was thinking that they had more side projects there's more than just those two isn't there yeah so um tom has played in a handful of things uh so let's see uh, Street Sweeper Social Club with uh, Boots Riley, um, and then um, blinking, of course. And then Zach is he did Zach did a interesting kind of power duo uh, with John Theodore, um, drummer who I am most familiar with from his work with Mars Volta. Um, but they, they made a, a band called One Day as a Lion. It was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, same kind of deal, right? I wanna If I want to listen to Zach, I'll listen to Rage. If I want to listen to John, I'll go listen to D-Loss in the Comatorium. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, and then what else? Yeah. yeah Zach have, was have, just like, on the uh, Run the Jewels, the new Run the Jewels album. He was. Yes. Is he on that? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah it's kind of like an interesting little kind of like sample where it, he's not actually doing like a straight verse or something. He's just like in the hook. Um, and I think that that was great. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, it's not enough. Like, it's like, you're like, Ooh, this exactly. is like, give me more of this. Which is what you want, right? You want, yeah. Yeah. You, you want, want to leave him wanting more. Leave 100%. <laughs> and, and, and I think that that is rage against the machine. Right. I mean, we all, anyone who enjoyed that music, I think really, thinks back to man i wish we would have gotten more of that but uh but on the other hand be careful what you wish for a hundred percent you know and uh oh morello did solo stuff calling himself the night watchman that was the other thing i was thinking that's that's, yeah yeah exactly yep yeah playing acoustic folk music at open mic nights according to wikipedia (laughs) can you imagine you're running an open mic night and tom morello rocks up (laughs) oh man um Oh yeah, um, yeah, Boots Riley, yeah, flipping egg. Yeah. Wow, what a and strange combination. So, tell me a little bit about uh, your your experiences um, after nine eleven uh, and hearing about 
um, the the Clear Channel Memorandum, as it's like officially known or whatever, where basically they they shared a list of like particular songs that were banned, but then famously just across the board said all Rage Against the Machine. Like, yeah. it, have you? Yeah. What, what do you know about that? And did that? Um, well, we don't get. You actually hear the difference, yeah. Yeah, well, we don't get Clear Channel over here. So I'll quickly yeah. answer and then I'll let Brian give a fuller answer. We don't get it over here. So I was aware of it through the music press, obviously. It sounds like absolute bullshit to me. You know, anything like that is just. And we have occasionally had things like that over here as well, where songs suddenly or TV shows suddenly get like pulled off of the air in the wake of, you know, a disaster or something. And it's always bullshit. It's, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, this is the time around the same time, don't forget the anthrax put out that joke press release saying that they were renaming themselves basket full of puppies um, i remember that <laughs> yeah yes. the whole thing is ridiculous but the one thing i will say that amused me about it is there is a parallel to uh the comics world there is a british oh actually no pe- most people do know of him now but for a while they a lot long time they didn't uh, an artist called kevin o'neill who's now probably best known for drawing Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics. Um, mm. But for many years over here, he started out as, well, not started out, but he, he became famous as an artist on 2000 AD drawing strips like Nemesis the Warlock. And they are, he has a really odd, I mean, talk about unique, a really weird, unique, grotesque kind of style that is unmistakably him. Like you cannot, you look at a, a a Kev O'Neill in image and you immediately know that it's him and nobody else draws like him. And he was banned by the comics code in America, like not just individual stories or something that he'd drawn, but literally his work was banned. He he could never get a comics code approved comic. It was just, it was literally just banned outright. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, come on, how utter, ridiculous bullshit but like i say we don't get clear channel over here so it didn't affect our i mean not the rage got a lot of radio play over here anyway but it didn't affect our radio play that list so i'm i'll hand it over to you brian because obviously you were there yeah i mean and i'm trying to think of how much radio i was still sort of listening to at the time when that came out but it's as you mentioned, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, ACDC, as I think they said, like seven, behind Rage Against the Machine, ACDC had the second most amount of songs that were uh, that were sort of on that particular list. There's so many ridiculous songs on that list when you start to look back. Like you, you don't even have to go more than two song, two or three songs into the list to realize how freaking ridiculous that it is. And, and it's just that knee jerk reaction to, um, you know, anything being perceived as. Uh, as disrespectful right at the time to, to the, to the lives that were lost to, to the country, to that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess like living in the world that we live in now and how sort of desensitized you become to, uh, the crap that we deal with now and the knee jerk reactions that happen 15 times a day on social media and all kinds of stuff (laughs) like that. Like it was definitely, um, different back then because it wasn't, we weren't living in the, in this era where it's every day, you know what I mean? And so it was sort of a bigger deal there, but yeah, like, uh, hit me with your best shot from Pat Benatar is on that list. Love is a battlefield is on that list from Pat Benatar. Like <laughs> smoking from Boston is on that list. Oh, um, I mean, just going down in the air tonight from Phil Collins is on that list. Um, 
as well as not, like certain certain versions of songs, but not the, the alien and original or yeah. version. Yep. Yes, is on there, but yep. the original Michael Jackson version is not. Uh, the, really? There's a cover. What Guns and Roses version of Knocking on Heaven's Door is on there, but not the original version of Knocking on Heaven's Door. Um, only the Good Die <laughs> Young from Billy Joel is on that list. Uh, some heads are going to roll from Judas Priest is on that list. Uh, let's see. Uh, Wait, ooh, was, only the good, was Iron Maiden's only the Good Die Young on there as well, or not? I don't think so. I'm going <laughs> I'm to go back. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't even um, comprehensive. Yeah, Metallica had four songs on there. Megadeth had two songs on there. Uh, Alanis Morissette's "Ironic" is on that list. Um, what? Tom Petty's Tom Petty's "Free Fallen" is on that list. <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel's "Bridge Over Troubled Water" is on that list. Um, Let's see. Yeah. U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday is on that list. Uh, yes. Yeah. Tem- Temple of the Dogs totally- Say Hello to Heaven is on that list. I mean, I mean, Talking Heads is on that list. Uh, which one? Burning Down the House. That's the song from uh. the Talking Heads that's on that list. So, I mean, if we ha- if if people weren't aware of that or didn't know any of the songs that were on the list, I mean, just hearing that, right, is how how absolutely ridiculous, but, but totally indicative of the type of um, – you know, kind of stuff that we see today, right? It's just the the sort of uninformed overreaction or or sort of knee jerk reaction. Um, and so, in this context, when you look at the songs and stuff that were on here, "Rage Against the Machine" as a concept, of course, that is on the list, right? Of course, that's especially at, you know with um, mm-hmm. because their entire catalog is. How do you pick one song from "Rage Against the Machine"? to put on this list, right? How do you pick two songs? How do you pick five songs? How do you pick, I mean, they have like 60 songs. They're all on this list, right? If you, if you're making a list of songs that might be controversial, right. Or might be, (laughs) uh, could, could possibly be considered anti-establishment or anti-American. If you're looking at the entire band is anti-establishment, the entire band. So (laughs) it's like, yeah. Um, and then just kind of missing the point too, and saying like in that censorship, right, or trying to like stifle that, you know, you're co- bringing more attention to it, right, and giving them more power. So totally, yeah, the stray sand yeah. effect, yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, that's what we call it now. I know the phenomenon has obviously been around for a, a much longer, but yeah, it's the, the whole thing's absurd. But and especially back then, because radio did have a lot more reach still in you know the mm-hmm. early two thousands. I mean, now it is obviously not the force that it was, but back then it it, it was. And so, as you say, by doing this in a mainstream medium, which at the time tens of millions of people still listen to all the time, all they're doing is yeah, drawing attention to it. Yeah, a hundred percent. You definitely got the sense, though, that someone was just waiting for any reason to just pull uh, their music from the radio waves, at least. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, you just take advantage of it. It yeah. reminds me of uh, one of the things we have had over here. Not so much now, but we used to have more. Uh, was occasionally if a song with questionable lyrics of some kind uh started rising up the charts the radio just wouldn't play it and it got to the point where i mean the f- most famous example that people remember over here is frankie goes to hollywood their song relax uh just radio one just would not play it 
And that's, you know, that's the main national radio station. It's the biggest radio station in the country, which for decades was the one everybody listened to. And they did the official chart countdown for like four hours every Sunday night. And they just wouldn't play it. And it was at number one for weeks. It was the number one song in the country. And they would not play it. And I'm sure that part of the reason it stayed at number one for weeks was because they would not play it. And so everybody (laughs) went, well, I've got to hear this. (laughs) What's so bad about it? And of course, there's nothing bad about it at all. It's ridiculous. What's your your favourite track on this album? um, I think... Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go with testify. Like that's just time. You know, I have a soft spot for um, album openers and and closers, right? Those like bookend songs, and um, like what a statement, right? Coming back, you know, third album, full force, you know, and and it's it's pure rage against the machine. It's great. I agree. I mean, Testify and War Within a Breath are my favourite tracks on this album, for sure. And, you know, that's only over a few weeks. Like I say, up until a few weeks ago, I'd barely listened to this album, but having now listened to it, you know, a lot, as we would in preparation for a regular episode, I would say, yeah, the opening and closing, Testify and War Within a Breath, are easily the most powerful and catchy songs on this track. And they are, they're both quintessential rage as well. Like, they're mid-tempo, they got the groove, they got great lyrics, obviously, and then you've got that juxtaposition of a sort of groovy, slightly noisy verse, you know, a sort of kind of atonal, and then the chorus comes in and it's massive and heavy, and that's what everybody jumps up and down to, and it's like, yep, that's that's a rage song. For me, it is uh, Calm Like a Bomb, by far my favorite song on this album. I just, it's just... The structure is perfect. I absolutely adore that song. Uh, the lyrics are amazing to it. And then my second favorite one is Ashes in the Fall because the main rhythm is the it sounds like the theme from Halloween. And it actually <laughs> – but it actually lends to the atmosphere of the – like, it, like it's not um, – it's not a nod just for a nod's sake. You know what I mean? Like it, it actually lends to the atmosphere of the song. And um, – I think that's just really, really cool the way that it's it's woven into the song. But yeah, Calm Like a Bomb for me is easily my standout. Probably one of my favorite rage songs of all time. And uh, it's just amazing. Ramon, what do you think of uh, Mike Check? Um, that's, that's one of my like less favorites. Um, I don't know if it's because of how just it's one of the like slower songs but um it's fine yeah it's great but i think uh yeah one of my one of my lesser favorites in this one the reason the reason i ask is because i noted that i mean it's not i wouldn't say it's a favorite of mine but what i did appreciate was that it doesn't sound like traditional rage and even on this third album you know they're trying new things uh and trying to sort of you know push 
well, what's a rage song? You know, what can we, how far can we push this? And so, yeah, like I say, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a very successful experiment, but I appreciate the fact that it is an experiment. And it's a tough spot to be in the number four spot after Testify, Gorilla Radio, and Calm Like a Bomb. That's true. Like, that's a tough, (laughs) true. That is a freaking, that's a flurry of punches coming into that album right there. And then to get number four and have it be a little bit more experimental is, that's, that's, that's big shoes to fill after those three songs. But, I mean, that's also, and obviously this is, you know, just speculation about their thought process. But if you think about it, that's not necessarily a bad tack to take either, because no. we talk all the time about the mid-album lull. And if track four was just another song like those first three, you might start to go, oh, yeah, but it is, is it as good as these, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas instead you get a track that is completely unlike anything that you've yeah. heard so far on the album. And so it's kind of... I mean, not that it insulates it against criticism, but it's like, oh, okay, well, at least I wasn't expecting this. I mean, bottom right. line is, by this album, they've completely earned the right to experiment however they want, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, having said that, too, like, albums one and two had hits and misses on them as well. So it wasn't like you went into any Rage album thinking that it was going to top to bottom be... Um, you know, all killer and no filler. And so, uh, which is surprisingly, as I, as I mentioned earlier, like going back and really giving this a lot of time, I do feel like this one is the most consistent, like Mike check, probably not one of my favorite songs on the album, but I don't, I don't feel like there's any throwaway songs on this album. Yeah. It's definitely in the cool down spot, right? Talking about the sequencing of the album. So yeah, they, they decided to go with something more unique that is yeah, slower and lower energy, um and it it pulls it off it does it it does it fairly well yeah the other track that i really like on this actually is born of a broken man because to my mind that's one of the most it's certainly the most metal song on this album and maybe one of the most metal songs that rage made you know the uh i mean the verses are kind of semi-acoustic but the chorus is just an absolute heavy crusher um and yeah, that's that really stood out to me. I, again, took a few listens to kind of realize, but then I kept coming across this track going like, this chorus is massive. Mm, yeah. I, yeah, when I, you know, kind of talking about like, is Rage Against the Machine metal or not? Like, you know, Bullet in Your Head is like the, is the track that I think of too, but um, not on this album. So yeah. Yeah, I like well, the discussion better of like, and, and this is where I always go when, when it's like, a is this metal or not? Like, is it heavy? And it is mm-hmm. heavy yeah. as hell. Raging Against the yeah. Machine is heavy. I mean, Calm Like a Bomb, that uh, in service of that title, like that song just explodes. Like it's, and so many of their songs are like that, you know? And it's just like the, just the release of energy in those songs is like, super heavy yeah exhibit a feel this right like how much does this make you just like you know rock your head right and um i don't know i think the other thing too is just like brad wilkes drumming i think is like the is i don't know in some ways like the least metal part of it but that's really just because they are more of a rhythm section oriented band and he's playing groovier. Right. So there is, it it has that 
you know, that funk to it that kind of adds that little twist, right? Again, you know, making that rage sound, but then also kind of weaving them in and out of the metal category. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, this is another case of, you're right. It's not like it's complex drumming. You know, any competent drummer could play these songs, no question. But would they play them in the same way? And would they have the same groove? And that's where you get into individual playing styles and what a drummer actually brings beyond just the ability to, you know, play those complex rhythms or whatever. Um, And yeah, again, it's, you can't imagine, you can't imagine any, and this I'm sure is why the side projects have struggled a bit. You can't imagine any element, certainly musically of this band being removed and it's sounding like the same band. You know, Timmy Comfort's no. bass is just... He is incredible, dude. He, like, he's just, so locked in. It's crazy. Good God. Like, as as great as Tom Morello is, I feel like Comerford's bass is is equally as great in in just... Uh, well, it has to do so much more than most I mean, other just, bases. I mean, from the from the grooves, from the funk, from the, from the energy, from the way that he plays that bass and the sounds that he gets out of that bass like it it, it, like each of these four are all doing some things that are just on insane like insane on a on an individual musicianship level and then to have those things come together it truly as you said it truly is all four of them creating this thing that if you remove any piece it's just not the same yeah in fact that was the only kind of like new note that i took in re-listening to to this album um so many times was that something that i i just missed because it just snuck in so perfectly there um at 251 of testify there's this just this immaculate little, little bass fill after tom solo and I miss that. And now every time I'll, I'll have my ear ready for that. It's just like a quick little, you know, just run down do, 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 do. And it's mm, so tasty. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll have to go and check that out. <laughs> Cause I've probably, yeah, I've skipped over it as well, but it, yeah, it, it is very much more. It's one of those, some of the parts things, isn't it? The sum of these parts is, is uh, the whole rather is greater than the, the sum of these parts without a question. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, normally, <laughs> normally at this stage, I would say, so what other albums by this same band should people check out? But really with rage, that's kind of, that's a bit of a, <laughs> you know, you, you, they only did three albums. You either know them or you don't. It's yeah. Uh, just consult the clear channel memo. You want to get, you want to check out all of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, you know, they also, uh, were the only good thing to come out of that horrendous American remake of Godzilla. Uh, with that song no shelter that was on the godzilla soundtrack which is one of my favorite um uh things that they did and that movie was an abomination that i went to see in the movie theater when it came out um (laughs) and i'm very ashamed of that the matthew broderick i'm so sorry brian yeah it was bad i i actually dragged my uh now wife who was my girlfriend at the time to go see that and um of course, th- that was something that she went to see just because she knew how much I loved Godzilla and how excited I was for there to be a new Godzilla movie. And then it was 
It was bad. It was, it was a bad day. It was a bad day for everyone. And um, if it's although, but then Godzilla 2000 came out, which was a true Godzilla movie, and that was that more than made up for it. But didn't have rage on the soundtrack. Didn't have rage on the soundtrack. No, I was going to say if it's well, any I mean, consolation, can... I uh, I took my partner Marcia when we we'd only been dating a year or two, uh, and on Valentine's Day I took her to see the Daredevil movie because she's a huge Daredevil fan. Oh. <laughs> Wow, that might be worse. Yeah. Now, wait, is it worse than Godzilla, though? They're both bad. They're both I wouldn't say bad. it is worse than Godzilla, but it was pretty, you know, we both came out of it and just sort of looked at one another and she went, it's a good thing I've got a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did. I, yeah, it was in theaters. I definitely saw Daredevil on Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was a Valentine's <laughs> with, Day release. With my girlfriend yeah. at the time, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. That I saw it on release day. Holy cow. <laughs> It did not seem like a an opening day for that for that type of movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it was anyway. <sighs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's uh, and that track is on the bonus. It's a bonus track on the what is it Australian and Japanese editions of this album apparently. Yeah, I think but so. I'm sure on Spotify mm-hmm. you can probably just hear the whole thing anyway. I mean, so there's a thing actually that we haven't really mentioned is this. How do you? How do you feel and uh, about the Rage being on a major label? Because that's something they got a lot of stick for when they first started out. A lot of people accused them of hypocrisy. And Morello's response was like, well, this is the best way for us to spread the word and they don't interfere, so we're, we're fine with it. You know, this means our message can reach more people. Do you buy that? I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, sure, that's what he said, but what's more important also is just, you know, their their character and their behavior and their actions um, since then. I, I think that they've been good stewards of trying to, you know, practice what they preach and kind of uphold the, the movement. And um, I don't, I haven't heard of anything where, you know, it seems like they have a, a conflict of interest or are somehow undermining their message. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think today, like obviously if this band was coming out today, I think it would have played out very differently because that was back at a time where that was how you reached more people. Right. Whereas nowadays you'd be on Bandcamp or you'd be on, you know, there are so many more ways to, to um, reach listeners than there kind of was at that particular time when they first came out. So yeah, I just think it would be, it, it would be really different now. It, it would be very different. I mean, yeah, man, you, cause you'd have to build up. I mean, they did build up their reputation live before they got signed for right? sure. You know, and, but you'd have to do that 10 times as much now. Uh, but also the way, like, it, cause they were so good. I feel like once anyone saw them, that would catch fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that would start to, to sort of, yeah. And I think um, uh, to me, like one of the biggest testaments to them is how we just talked about at the top of the show, like how their streams are up 62% or something like that. We don't have that now. We don't have a rage now. And so people are desperately looking for that right and that's why you see them sort of going back to the well here with rage against the machine because what what do we have 
instead. Like all the bands that we grew up with that started with that really, um, you know, punk influence and stuff like that, the big four and stuff like that. Are they, are they capturing the feel of the time? No, they're, you know, they're either, they're either singing about stuff because they're old men now and their political views have changed, or they're still singing about the same crap that they were, you know, the, the sort of uh, science fiction and fantasy stuff that they were singing about before. And so I think that, well, and more to the point, even the political songs that they may have written in the 80s and 90s are not getting played now in the same way that Rage's right. songs are. Because these songs are 20 years old, you know, and yet, as you say, they're well, more than 20 years old, and yet they still feel relevant and they I mean, still sound un- so good. Uncannily relevant, like evergreen. In unfortunately in the worst way yeah absolutely like i mean just go but just go and read any of the lyrics on this album right and it's just like heartbreaking even killing in the name it's crazy that like more than 25 years on killing in the name is not just still relevant but possibly even more relevant now than it was 25 years ago how how does that even happen that's crazy it is which crazy. which also makes me wonder have have any of you watched uh, any other music videos uh i mean i would have seen them back on mtv in the day but yeah n- yeah, not, yeah not to any great extent why when i was doing my research uh there is definitely a shot of a donald trump for president 2000 sign in sleep now in the fire oh. <laughs> and that was that's that was wild. so jarring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. That's um, like that Simpsons that, that, episode where they did the uh, the joke about, was it a sort of joke future, alternative future thing where Donald Trump was president and everybody's like, yeah, not so funny now, is it? Yeah, every once in a while we get it right, you know. <laughs> you know <it's, laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I think that was, that was particularly jarring. Oh, man. I'm going to go and have to look for that now. Um, all right, let's close this up then. So, Ramon, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. Where can people find you online? Are you on Twitter? Uh, I am, um, but primarily just as, as my band. Um, um, oh, but, well, plug, uh, plug your band then. What's the band? Yeah, so the band is called Dogcatcher, one word, um, and it is kind of you know rhythm section-oriented um, rock slash uh i don't don't want to say like folk or something like that it's hard to define as i guess any good music should be but (laughs) um i don't know check it out if you're if you're interested at all um and then um what i'd rather turn people towards well hang on hang on you didn't tell us how do we find dog uh, what's dog is it just dog catcher on twitter at dog catcher is it oh uh (laughs) dog catcher with no vowels um, oh wow! But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to write that one out. D G C T C H R. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I think yeah, I mean, just kind of like we were like barely a band, basically. But uh, it's it's been fun, kind of um, just making music over the last ten years now. Um, put out a couple of records that are on Spotify and. Apple Music and, you know, wherever you listen. But um, uh, if any metalheads are looking for other music recommendations, 
I have a running Spotify playlist of any song that kind of strikes my fancy. And you can find that at bit.ly slash radio hyphen Ramon, R-A-M-O-N. Um, and I don't know, it's a couple hundred hours of music at this point. Wow. What, so, what, what an age where you can have your own URL pointing to a personalized playlist that just can, keeps getting updated. I mean, I'm, I know I'm just an old fart, but that blows my mind. <laughs> it would never even occur <laughs> to me to do that. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty fun. And so, yeah, you know, it's 3,614 songs long now. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you put it on shuffle, you will, you know, get some sort of whiplash at some point going from, uh, I don't know, from like opera to rage against the machine <laughs> so i thought you were going to say if you put it on shuffle you will die before you reach the end <laughs> yeah when i have a few extra minutes while i'm doing the dishes i'll throw that on and probably get through most of that <laughs> oh man all right brilliant thanks ramon no thank you both so much this is this is great i love the podcast and i uh, love what you do for the fans oh bless you and yeah, yeah thanks for joining us man that's awesome and speaking of the fans, thank you to everyone out there for listening, of course. Uh, remember, if you enjoy Thrash It Out, do spread the word, rate us on Apple and Google Podcasts, uh, tell your friends, and if you want to support the show and be in with the chance of getting your own backstage pass, go to patreon.com slash thrashitout and make your pledge today. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com for links to email and Twitter, or join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrashitout. That is all for now. We'll see you next time. Keep thrashing. Take care. Cheers.